We're reading this morning from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let me pray for us. God, we ask that you would speak through your word. Um, God, we just ask that we'd be challenged in, in following it and in being, um, just being made into your people. Lord, we just ask this at this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this morning we are continuing to talk about reactions to Christmas. So, and it, it makes even more sense now that Christmas has come, and, and at least that, that date that we celebrate Christmas on is past, um, but we're talking about those reactions, because we want to also ask ourselves, how do we react to the message of Christmas? I think that's an important question for us. This uh, series, as I've said each week, this series is inspired by a book uh, entitled Hidden Christmas, The Surprising Truth Behind the Birth of Christ by Timothy Keller. If you find something really exciting and like, wow, that's amazing, it's probably from him and not from me. And so that's, I, I, want, I want to point you to where the wisdom is. Um, I'm just, uh, I, I did kind of take his ideas and begin to, to dwell on those and, and flesh those out. But I don't want to just take it all as my own. I'm not maybe that creative. But it, it's a quick read, but it got me thinking about how they responded, these different figures in the Christmas story. And it really caused me to ask, how do we respond? How should we respond? How might we respond to the, the Christmas story. This morning we're going to begin uh, by talking about reactions that actually happen on Christmas morning. And so I'm going to turn to the kids just a little bit um, and I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to show you the picture. I made a picture for today. It looks less like a bunny rabbit than when I first drew it. So we tried to help it. But um, we're going to be talking about presents. So, did anybody open presents on for Christmas? Did you get presents this Christmas? Yeah. Yes, you got some presents this Christmas. Here's a question that's actually an interesting one. Did you open your, Christmas, your presents on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve night? Christmas morning, all day, like waves of presents. Sorry, my children, we didn't have waves of presents. Sorry. 
All right, I'm just always curious by that because different families have different traditions. Sometimes uh, I remember, actually our tradition shifted almost every year, it seemed like. Sometimes we'd open a present on, on Christmas Eve, just one. Sometimes we were forced to open Christmas jammies or something like that on Christmas Eve, but then you couldn't get any of the rest of them. Sometimes there were more that showed up on Christmas. It just it seemed to change. It also changed on where we were because we weren't always in the same place. But um, kids, here's my question for you. Of all the Christmases you've ever had, what's the best Christmas gift you've ever received? Anybody want to share? Best Christmas gift ever. Don't know. It's hard to judge. Girls, do you have any options? My girls? They get better every year. <laughs> Parents, awesome. Awesome. Good, 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 good. <laughs> there's, your, there's your positive thought for the day. How did... Um, Here's, here's the next question. How do you react when you receive a really good gift? How do you react? Happy? Yeah? Does anybody jump up and down? Does anybody squeal? Squeals and hugging the thing. Squeals and hugging the thing. Okay. So live animals are dangerous that, in that moment. So we re- react, right, to what we get. We react to the gifts we get. Sometimes it's hard to control our reactions. Maybe not you, because I'm sure whoever, like, you're probably very controlled. But I know one of your, your sisters or brothers or something, uh, maybe they get really excited. And they, you know exactly how they feel at that moment. We, we can also, have you ever gotten one that was disappointing? Have you ever gotten a present and you're like, socks? Or, Mom, why did you wrap up this underwear? I didn't want it. Why would people want to see that? Or something like that. Have you ever gotten a a present where you were less than excited to get it? If you haven't, let me warn you, maybe not. Maybe you'll have great, it'll get better every year. But for me, there are times where you run into those kinds of presents. And we can be disappointed. And sometimes people can tell we're disappointed. Sometimes we can be good. But that's rare. (laughs) We tend to be, to show how we, we react. We react to what we get. We can be happy or we can respond kind of frustrated maybe or sad or um, hopefully you don't yell and scream. But reactions matter. They're important. They show where our heart is. And in that moment of opening a present, we almost lose the control of hiding that. It, It shows exactly how we respond. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about different figures in the Christmas story um, and, and their reactions like this. Like the child, uh, we are incredibly hard-pressed to hide how we feel about anything we're given. Actually, the same is true about our response to Jesus. We talked about Mary's reaction to the message of Jesus' coming. Before it even happened, she knew this was happening. An angel was talking to her, and she reacted to that. And we talked about that the first week. Last week, we talked about the shepherds. The shepherds out in their fields, just with the sheep. And all of a sudden, some angels come to them as well and say, Hey, this is going on, and they reacted. They didn't even just say, Well, that was cool. They went and saw the baby, and then they went and told others. We talked about that all last week. Today, we're going to talk about an individual that was not there at the manger, that first Christmas night, he did, he did experience, though, I would suggest, the joy of Christmas and seeing Jesus, the Messiah, just a little bit later. 
a little bit later. In Luke chapter 2, verse 22, we find ourselves slightly after the traditional Christmas story, uh, which we read last week. Luke tells us uh, this, uh, this trip of Mary and Joseph and Jesus to the temple takes place after the necessary time of purification had passed. For Mary, after childbirth, um, theologians speculate this would have been about 40 days. Uh, Mary and Joseph were following the law. They were trying to do, not just trying, they were following the law and doing everything that was required of them. Luke references the law requirement that every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Each firstborn at this point was expected or was to be redeemed in Israel with the offering of a lamb. That was the, um, the, the rule. But if you couldn't afford that, then there was a concession that you could offer two birds. And there was even actually a further concession, which I didn't even know about, that if you couldn't even do that, then you could uh, offer some flour or something. Uh, and that would show actually what it suggested is you, you had almost nothing. You had just a... But you were to bring something to redeem that firstborn. So Mary and Joseph, unable to afford a lamb apparently, are following the provisions in Leviticus 12.8. They bring two turtle doves or pigeons as their sacrifice to redeem their firstborn Jesus. So that's what's going on. But regardless of their humble uh, state, Mary and Joseph are doing this correctly. They're following, and I think that that's important to see their obedience in this. However, they, as they go about their obedience and their obedient acts, one of God's men steps into their life. Kind of, we get this scene. Luke introduces us to this man, Simeon. Luke gives us only a few verses uh, from Simeon's encounter with Jesus, but within it, there's a message for us this morning. We see, um, we, we don't know a whole lot about Simeon, but it, what he says here and what he does here is important. According to one commentary, Simeon was a common name among first century Jews. It derived from one of the sons of Jacob and the tribe of Israel that came from him. And it, was, uh, it is the more Hebraic form of the name Simon, actually. We can even see in Acts 15.4 and 2 Peter 1.1 where Simon Peter is actually called Simeon. So it's a variation on that name. So it was a very common name. As I said earlier, Simeon had missed the birth of Christ. He missed the birthday party that we talked about last week. He missed the angels. He was not there with the animals in the stable to see the baby Jesus. He wasn't in town to hear the shepherds talk about what was happening. In fact, Simeon didn't even go to find Jesus. He was never, never had that opportunity. He was waiting. He was waiting in the temple in Jerusalem. He was waiting. I, I, heard um, this week a sermon I, I kind of I don't know if you do that with Bible truths you you find something you're like wow this is really really interesting I wonder if anybody's ever ever considered this before ever considered this man Simeon before and I, I was that way when I kind of I was like wow um, and and this guy is really interesting this really and then I, I find that there are I mean God's people have been studying his word for a very long time and um Simeon is, uh, I heard a sermon this week, that's where I was going, sorry. I, I heard a sermon this week and uh, they, were, they were really focusing on Simeon's waiting. What is it like to wait? Wait for God to do things. Wait for what you know God will do and, and really thought about how we wait. How do you wait? Are you patient? You 
you can see in Simeon an example for us. I imagine Simeon was waiting kind of like a child at Christmas. Just just seems to fit for me. He knew that God was doing something. He knew that one day God would show him the gift, uh, but Simeon hadn't received the gift yet. I don't know if you remember what it was like when you see those presents, or you know that gifts are coming, or maybe you, as the Christmas season comes around, you begin to think about that. But you, you know it's coming, but you haven't got it yet. Or you're excited about what the possibility is. Or maybe you got the biggest box under the tree. You're excited. But you can't open it yet. Those are hard times, hard moments. We learn in verse 26 that somehow Simeon knew that God would show him the Christ, the Messiah, the one that God was sending to save his people. He was going to show him that before he died, show him this Messiah. This was not the day of Jesus' birth, but Luke shows us that on that day when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple, Simeon received the fulfillment of God's promise to him. In a way, it was Christmas Day to Simeon. It was on that day that Simeon recognized and received the greatest gift that God has ever given. That was the day that he knew how much God loved him, how far God would go for him. Christmas is a celebration of Jesus coming into this world. It's a celebration of God's physical expression of his deep desire to have a direct relationship with you with me. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus' coming into the world is a, a celebration of God's phys- and God's physical expression of his deep desire to have a relationship with you. Today we look, um, we're going to look at the obvious parallels between Simeon's experience and ours this morning. Uh, we are like Simeon in at least three ways. I'm going to limit myself to three ways. First, we are like Simeon, or we, like Simeon, are blessed with the knowledge of Jesus. Like Simeon, we too have been blessed with the knowledge of Jesus. We've heard of Jesus. We know that Jesus, that God came to us. We know that God desires a relationship with us. We even know the Christmas story, not the Santa and Rudolph story, but Mary and Joseph, and more importantly, the baby Jesus. We have it all written down for us, and we can look at it over and over again. We are blessed. In Sunday school this morning, we were talking about ancient times in, in Genesis um, and how did they know, like, did they understand God as, as fully as we do? And I don't think that we are more intelligent or more amazing as people, but I do think that we have recorded for us God's story, the story of God with his people. And that is a blessing. Think about how many people in the world have no message of Jesus. Think of those who have never heard his name. It's hard to imagine that here in Northeast Missouri, but it's possible. It's true. There are those people. Millions of people have never heard the story of Jesus, actually. Our culture is currently doing a really good job of exporting Christmas, but I mean the commercialism of Christmas. The story of Santa and Rudolph and Frosty um, is going forth, in case you were worried about that. In France, one year during the holiday season, I remember seeing um, a little Arab child. Uh, North African Arabs were, uh, as a people group, were all around us where we lived in southern France. Um, this Muslim 
woman, a mother, was, she was veiled. It was very obvious. Uh, the kids were super excited. They couldn't contain themselves in this fast food restaurant I happened to be in at that point. And they ate their lunch, and they kept talking to their mom. The kids were so excited. Like, they just bounced off the little um, table chairs, and, and they, they were so excited to go and see Santa. They were going to go sit on Santa's lap and tell him what they wanted for Christmas. They'd heard of Santa. They knew Christmas in that way. They'd heard of the presents and everything. And I often wondered if those children will ever hear the real Christmas story. The story of Jesus and his birth. The amazing angels and the declaration there. I... I remember being in Africa, and I remember how popular blow-up Santas are in supermarkets in Africa, and that tiny island, Indian Ocean, not even Africa, continent, off in the ocean, poor power system, power grid, sometimes power's on, most time it's not, but blow-up Santas, they were a thing. And it was actually really helpful because during Christmas time, you could look and see Look, Santa's standing, so apparently they have power. Their freezers probably are okay. We can buy ice cream or something or whatever. And if Santa was flat, you knew that you might want to not go in there or go in there fast if it just went down so that you could get things while they were still cold. We've exported blow-up Santas. We've exported Santa Claus. A lot of people have never heard of Jesus. It's crazy to think about that, this, but even here in Canton, There are some children who woke up on Christmas morning this week thinking about Santa and thinking about presents who never have heard about the first and greatest Christmas gift ever given, the baby Jesus, the Savior for us. And I only mean to emphasize how blessed we are. We have the real Christmas story. We should be grateful and honored by that. We must not neglect the responsibility we have with such a message. Next, what did Simeon see that day when Jesus and his parents entered the temple? Did he see a mere baby? And the answer is no. He responded uh, very strongly. That day Simeon beheld God's greatest gift. It was the gift of God himself. God's greatest gift to each of us is himself. And that's Christmas That's Emmanuel. That's God with us. God came to earth himself. He came to be seen and to be touched and to experience this life. He came to relate to you and to me and to our life in an intimate and a personal and a tangible way. Simeon recognized this opportunity, uh, this and the opportunity exists for us too. Like we, like Simeon, have the opportunity to accept Jesus. That day, Simeon not only had the knowledge of Jesus' coming, but he also accepted the gift when he saw it. He knew what it was. He knew that this baby was the key to all of God's plans and all of God's prophecies over the Messiah. In verse 28, Simeon immediately takes the baby in his arms. Notice Simeon's words in verse 29 through 32. Jesus is the salvation that he has been waiting on. Jesus is God's plan of the world. And Jesus is the light of revelation to the Gentiles for the glory uh, and for glory to Israel. The message of love or peace with God and of salvation is for the Jews of Israel, but also for the Gentiles. This is very 
Jewish way, by the way, of saying absolutely everybody. There are really only two categories in the Jewish mindset. You have Jews and Gentiles, which means everybody else. Jews, not Jews. So if this was the blessing for all, this is the best way to say it. For Jews and Gentiles alike. There's no one left out. You are included, regardless of which side you fall on. Jesus came for you. One thing we must not neglect to mention is that we don't deserve any gift from God. We would be uh, presumptuous to suggest that we deserve some kind of gift from God. We don't deserve it, but he gave it. We are all sinners. We are all born in rebellion to God's design and instructions in this life. We, are self, we all selfishly desire to be in control of our own lives, but in the end of this kind of life, the end of this kind of life is always destruction. One day, God promises to sort of squash the rebellion of mankind and its repercussions in this world. He will, he will conquer it. Those who do not stand with God will be removed to a place, and the Bible talks about hell and eventually a lake of fire. Those are not pretty pictures. It's not good news because that's the end that we will all experience without God's intervention. But God has intervened. This intervention is Jesus. God's inter- God intervened in the world with his physical presence in the baby Jesus. He intervened in the world with his righteousness and the perfect life of Jesus. And he intervened in this rebellious world's end in the death of Jesus on our behalf. Because, Jesus, because of Jesus' perfect life lived and then sacrificed for us, God has made a way to remove the rebellion from our hearts. The consequence of our rebellion has been experienced by Jesus and paid for by him. Finally, the separation of sinful human beings from a holy and perfect God has been overcome, not by anything that we could do or anything we did, but by what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. Baby Jesus suggests that God wants to be in a relationship to you. Do you recognize that? This is the message of Christmas. And then God has done everything that can make it happen so, so that you would be in a relationship or have that opportunity to be in a relationship with him. That's, in many ways, the message of Easter. The life and sacrifice of Jesus is a great gift. But like any gift, it's not yours until you receive it. Present under a tree with your name on it that's intended for you. But if you don't open it, it remains useless. It's just there. It might be pretty. People could admire it from a distance, but it's not yours. To make it yours, you have to remove the ribbon. You have to rip open the paper. Um, it's, it's the same with the gift of Jesus' life and death on your behalf. That day in the temple, Simeon accepted the gift of God. He knew it was for him. In a sense, metaphorically, he unwrapped it and claimed it as his own. So what about you? This is Christmas week. We're still in it. It's New Year's Eve, but still in Christmas week. We're at the end of 2023. Have you accepted Jesus's life and sacrifice as your own? Have you said, yes, I will trade my imperfect life and give it to you for the perfect one that Jesus offers? If not, let today be that day. Let today, uh, let God, tell God that you want to give your whole life to him. Tell him that you want to follow him with all that you are. Tell us, uh, maybe, maybe talk to someone about your decision and what you've said to God after service. We want to celebrate with you like Simeon. 
We want to celebrate what God is doing in your life and your commitment to him, if that's what you need to do. But maybe you've already committed to follow Jesus. Maybe you're a Christian, um, but now we come to actually a caution. I mean, cautions and warning labels and things like that are all over the place, right? They're fairly common. Uh, You'll see things, and I'm making these up, by the way, kids, so don't get scared. But warning, this genuine, authentic jungle machete is intended for children four years and older. You might read something like that. Or uh, these marbles are not meant for human consumption. I almost guarantee there are tags like that. Warning, if you brew this specialty coffee and pour it on yourself, you might be burned. Things like that are required to be put on so many packages. Or the traditional warning, this BB gun will shoot your eye out. You know, things like that. Believe it or not, there's a warning to following Jesus. And here's the warning of accepting the invitation to be in relationship with God. It is that it will forever change you. You see, we like Simeon, this is my third point, we like Simeon can be changed by Jesus' coming. I admit that our passage, we don't see a huge change in Simeon's life. We don't see clear um, before and after for Simeon uh, because of Jesus' entry into that life. In fact, we can speculate maybe that Simeon didn't live much longer. It's possible to speculate that. I don't think we actually know at all. But God promised that he would live until he saw the Christ. So I don't even think Simeon expected to go on much longer. So I'm assuming he's old. I will admit that is my assumption. I don't know. The promise of this day, though, was enough for Simeon to wait. But now the promise is realized in the baby Jesus. And maybe that was the point. God has fulfilled his promise. Then Simeon warns Mary about this baby, this Jesus, this Messiah. And he says that he will bring struggle and change. Look at Simeon's message to Mary in verses 34 and 35. He suggests that Jesus will cause the rising and the falling of many. In this, we must recognize one powerful part of the message of Jesus. You are included probably in that. The rise and fall of your life will depend on what you do with him. The coming of Jesus forces a decision on our part. We can't remain neutral. Timothy Keller, in the book that I referenced earlier, says uh, this about the reaction of many to the message of Jesus. He says, It is the spirit of some so-called Christians whose ambition in life seems limited to building a nice middle-class Christian home and making nice middle-class Christian friends and bringing up their children in nice middle-class Christian ways. He then goes on to suggest that This is not one of the options that Jesus leaves us. And I agree as well. To hear the message of Jesus, then to claim to follow him, and also try to achieve somehow the American dream is really not possible. It's not possible. You see, the message of Christmas should change everything. If you understand that Emmanuel is God come to us in Jesus, you will either have to ignore that, And reject it because you recognize the existence of a God who cares enough to come here requires you to let him lead in all that you do, or you will embrace it. You have to reject it and say, no, a God who is that involved, no. Or you will embrace it and be changed by that engaged God forever. 
Earlier I said that a true relationship with God will forever change you, but in this life, it's also true that a relationship with God will continually change you. Not just once, not just for now, but forever and continually. You will grow more and more to resemble the God you serve. You will grow more and more to resemble the God who you know loves you. You can either reject the reality of Christmas or you can embrace it, but you really can't stay neutral. God loved you enough to come. He knew that you never have a relationship with him apart from him doing all of it. Not only does an almighty God want to have a relationship with you, but he wants to direct you away from sin and into a more fulfilling life. That's what God wants. If you walk with him, you're going to be able to look back even in hard times in life and see how God used those to enhance your life and bless those around you. Finally, God wants to give you and your life direction and purpose. He wants to include you in what he's doing. The idea of Christmas is a radical idea. God, come to us. God, come for us. God, making a way for sinful men to come to him. Then God desiring to work in and through us. This is radical, crazy kind of. The only appropriate response to the miracle and the message of Christmas is to respond in like manner, in radical ways too. I would encourage you to think about the American dream for a moment. Think about your personal dreams for your future, the future of your family, if you want to include that. How does your dream and God's radical call line up? Will you seek to live out your life live out your life for yourself and your comfort or will you strive to serve God and share the message of Jesus the message of Christmas with everyone so that at the end of your life you are spent we see an example of Paul in that the end of his life he talks about in his letters he his life is spent he's been poured out do you want that to be your life at the end you've given your all for the one you love the most You've held nothing back in your service to your Savior and Lord. That's how we should respond to Christmas. God gave us himself and we should respond in kind. So what what have you held back? What have I held back in my life? What in your life have you not fully given to God and will you give it to him now? How radically will you live today? What about tomorrow? What about every day after that? Like Simeon, we've received the greatest Christmas gift, the message of Jesus. God has extended salvation to us, and we can recognize that. We have not only been blessed with the message that God will save, but we know how he will save. Our salvation is through Jesus, and God offers himself. Eternal, abundant relationship with a perfect holy God is what the Bible calls life. Real life. Have you claimed the gift of that message for your life? Have you declared your commitment to Jesus in the act of baptism or joining his church, being faithful in his people? This is the first step in faithfulness in the life of a believer. You need to let others know about your life change. Your life changed by Jesus. If you have a true relationship with Jesus, then then you need to stop. He has made you his. And you need to see his love for you in this. We can rest in that love. We can trust in his work in and through us. This is the message of peace that Jesus brings. God has declared peace 
to you. Not because of what you do or have done or ever will do. Your works aren't enough to justify this peace. Jesus brings you peace. And that's amazing. This is good news. This is what Jesus has done. And it deserves to be shared. And are you sharing it with others? Have you shared that message with your family, with your friends, co-workers, your neighbors? Are you taking opportunities in this holiday season to talk about this? Because people are willing in ways that they wouldn't other times. Will you share him this next year? <laughs> That's tomorrow, by the way. Finally, God challenges us to be bold in the way to live. Have you responded to the radical gift of God him coming to you with a radical gift of commitment. Will you spend your life, will you offer up all your dreams and all that you are to the baby of Christmas? This could mean, could mean going with the IMB as we, took, we prayed for earlier or some other group to share the gospel of Jesus and start churches and, and encourage believers throughout the world. Could be that. But the definition of the missional life or following Jesus, a radical living, doesn't mean just that. I want to be clear. It doesn't mean being anything but intentional in your life to challenge people with the message of Jesus. Not in massive amounts of new relationships, but in the ones you have. The relationships you have with family or friends or the postman or postwoman or the librarian or at the coffee shop. Those are where God is challenging you to be faithful. That would be radical. Offering up your dreams to Jesus can mean being just content with life where you are at right now and trusting he has the best plan for where you are headed. It's easy to be discontent. But radical living says I'm content because Jesus has come. It doesn't happen instantly. You're going to continually struggle to offer your life to God. And in a way, this is what, a way to understand discipleship, I think. One of the most compelling definitions of discipleship that I know goes something like this. Without God, we walk in sinful passions, our own sinful passions. We do all sorts of things. But when we're drawn to God through the message of the gospel, we're changed. We see what he has done for us and we commit to live for him. That commitment changes us in the way we spend, uh, as we spend the rest of our lives, finding rebellion or unfaithfulness in our lives. We confront that. We commit to change. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we do change. Little by little, we are made more and more into the image of Jesus. So the question is, how are you growing? How is God changing you today? As you answer that question, sure to praise God for what he's doing because I guarantee he's working. It's the last day, in case you didn't know, of 2023. I hope I didn't get my math wrong. Let me give you one more task because of today. At some point today, take a moment and dwell on what God has done in your life in this past year. Take a moment and praise him for what he's been doing. Praise him for that. But then just like Simeon, waiting for God to come, I can promise you God is going to continue to work. Praise him for what he's going to do in shaping you to be more like Jesus in this next year. Praise him for what he's done and what he will do. That's my challenge to you today on this last day. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for working in our lives. 
We thank you that we have every opportunity to see Jesus, to know what he's done and to know him. God, help us to live in obedience to you. Help us to see where, where it is that we are not obeying. Help us to change. God, give us opportunities to share this amazing truth with others in this year. Help our church to do that and to be a beacon that shines out your message and truth to this whole community. God, we ask you to change lives here in Canton in 2024, starting with our own. Finally, God, you are awesome. You are awesome for what you have done in our lives, but you are awesome for what you are going to do in shaping us into your people. God, make us into your people. Let me pray this all in Jesus' name.